0: This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Joy in the Lord. Celebrate.
1: For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I think we lose that sometimes, but this year has been an excellent reminder that we should be living lives centered on the fact that Jesus has not forsaken us, God has not forgotten us, and that these reminders are good because they point us to a future and to a kingdom that is both safe and secure in him and not in this world. We moved everything from the back to the front to try to make it a little bit easier, but I'm going to ask that we partake of the Lord's Supper in the way manner that we have, kind of go a row at a time, but dawned on me, because I'm a smart thinker, it only took me two months to realize this watching it, that probably be easier if we went from the front to the back with everything in the front because then you can actually see when you can go. <laughs> so we're going to still try. I think we've got it set up right now where we can basically run off of one table. So we've got uh, my brain does not want to work and I apologize. Um, wafers and juice. I'll get the, the cover taken off, so I'll just ask the after we pray you guys can get started we'll just work this way and then just go down the rows does that make sense just give each other some space and some time and make sure everybody gets an opportunity to go through without you running them over (laughs) i think that's easy enough to explain so let's pray lord as we live and as we walk we walk in a world that is so oftentimes pulling us in so many different directions but you are at the end of our course And as we have repented of our sins, trusted in you, and are guided by your Spirit, we are walking a path that leads to peace and safety. We pray, Lord, that by your might, by your strength, we will be successful in that walk, that you will bring us to the day of completion, completing your good work in us. As we celebrate that work this morning, strengthen us, remind us of the walk that we have, the destination that we seek, and the mercy that you have provided. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have not partaken of the supper, go ahead and and do so now, and then we'll have a word of prayer. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the mercies that you give us each and every day, for the blessings that you bestow on us, that in the midst of our difficulties and our trials, that our walk is secure in you. Pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us and bring us to the day of completion. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: I will enter his gate with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. glad. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this a day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad, He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad, He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gate with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with praise. I will say this is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad.
1: All right, couple of important things. Well, they're all important. I don't just speak for the fun of it. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. Um, backpack information is still out there. That'll be the rest of this month and probably the rest of last month. If you have taken backpack stuff or if you've taken a backpack or a list, bring it back. We appreciate it. If you haven't yet, there's a list out there. You can grab it. I mentioned last week that the information on those sheets is right now. The hats have been donated. Have two bags full of that managed to show up a couple weeks ago so we are good to go um, I mentioned this last week but everybody was on vacation so I want to mention it again this week and by everybody I mean like everybody like <laughs> they don't love you so if you'll uh, you'll notice on your bulletin there is no nursery worker listed we have fired everybody no I'm kidding we uh we <laughs> we have we have had so many people that are able to get here, not able to get here, adjust that our nursery rotation. Like It's like somebody threw a grenade in the middle of it, and it's just a disaster. So as of right now, there is nobody listed on the nursery list. If you would like to be listed, let me know or let Elena know. If you have someone you can work with, tell us both names. If you just are by yourself and you want us to pair you with somebody, just tell us that. But if you would are able to be in the nursery once a month, once a year, twice a year, however many times you can do it, let me know, let Elena know, and we will get that worked back out again. The only, the only hoop you must jump through is if you have never done so before and you want to work in the nursery, you have to fill out the whole background check information. I promise you it is painless. It takes like five minutes, but it keeps you safe, it keeps us safe, and it keeps the children safe, which is, I, I don't think there's a downside to any of those three things. So <laughs> it takes a couple minutes to fill that out and good to go, all right. well, anyway, that's a different discussion church council this week so after service church council hang around a couple of important things that we must discuss we actually have important things on the list again believe it or not um, updates on some folks uh shelby was planning on being here same and shelby same's fine by the way same is awesome shelby was recuperating doing well from her fall and then she passed out and fell at the house and spent three days at the hospital no they don't know why her blood pressure her blood pressure in english her blood pressure just dropped and she passed out they she went to the hospital they have no earthly idea why it did it what caused it so the only thing they have done is taken her off of all of her high blood pressure medications as she said she goes hopefully i just got old and i don't need my medicine anymore (laughs) that was her actual diagnosis so so remember shelby this week that sam's great The, the person who's had major heart surgery is fine and now she can't get right so between the two of them, we almost get them both functioning at the same time. Um, Vi, spoke to 80 this week, um, but Friday, as of about Friday, Vi doesn't have any feeling of or use in her legs any longer. So the the mass that has moved to her back and is growing is now impacting that. 80 was making an appointment with the funeral home to kind of get arrangements and organizations set up. We don't know when, God knows we do not, but, We are apparently getting close to that time. So if you want to touch base with uh, AD this week, I'm sure he would appreciate it. If you would like to go by and see them, I'm sure they would appreciate it as well. Um, Robin is basically spending most of the day there, and Doug is basically spending every evening there to make sure that if they need help with anything, that there is somebody around to do that. So if you remember AD and Vi this week, i As with everything, it could be Christmas, it could be the end of the week, but it looks like we are getting a little bit closer. The one advantage is since she came home with hospice, they gave her pain medicine for about two days and she hasn't needed any more since then. So the combination of health problems that she has had over the years is actually added up to she's not in pain, which if there is a blessing for things at the end of life, that is one of them. So we can be thankful for that. Um, As far as uh, housekeeping issues, you will notice at the back, under the clock, behind the offering plates, there are these little envelopes. If your eyesight's not that good, you know, <laughs> they are for the benevolent offering. If you would like to give to contribute to the benevolent, make sure we don't miss it. Because sometimes if you write on a check or just write on the envelope benevolent, it just gets thrown away. and doesn't get noticed and it just gets put into the general fund. Um, use those envelopes. Elaine asked me to make mention of that. So I am remembering and making mention of that. All right. Now it gets really interesting. Oh, we've got to finish our regular stuff. Complete this verse. So the son of man came to seek and... Keep going. There's more to that sentence. That which is lost. it man, Seeking to save. What? Donut shops? No. That which is lost. you got to make sure you have the prepositional phrase that functions as the... Uh, what is that? The object? The direct object or the indirect object? I don't know and I don't care right now. So that was an easy one. We are going to do something a little bit different for the next few weeks. I mentioned this, I I think I just mentioned it last week, but uh, Ligonier Ministries does their State of the Church survey every two years, and oh, nearly it's a doozy. They basically survey the state of theology according to various denominations and groupings, and I thought it would be a good endeavor for us to do it. So that's where some of your questions are this week. We're not going to make you wait a week. We're just going to do, there's 35 questions. We're going to do three or four a week. So you can imagine it's going to take us a few weeks to get through them. But what I would like you to actually do is to answer them honestly, and then I'll tell you how the survey results went, and we'll see how you did. Sound good? So don't shout it out loud, but think of an answer, all right? All of these are true or false. God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. Don't shout it. Think about how you would answer that question. God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. You good? You got an answer? There is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All right? One true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All right, you got your answer, true or false? God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. All right, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. All right, you got your answers. Okay, for question number one, how many of you say true or said true or false? God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. True. Anybody have false for that one? <laughs> Well, just kind of wonder, the reason I ask is, uh, just based on evangelicals, people that would agree with us, 96% of the people answered that question was true. That scares me just a little bit, just a little bit. 96. Now, if you add mainline Protestant denominations, so Presbyterians, Lutherans, Episcopalians, and Methodists, and you also add in Roman Catholics, 65% think that question is true. There is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Who thought thought that was false? Which means everybody else thought it was true, right? Well, good, you should think that one's true. That's good theology. 96% of the churches that would agree with us thought that statement was true. When you add the rest of the churches, again, mainline Protestants and Roman Catholics, 72% of churches thought that statement was true, or members this is where it gets real good. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. How many thought that was true? Anyone? Do we have any trues? False. Okay. Second John would tell you that that is false. Specifically, verses 7 through 11 of the book of Second John. Also, John 14 and probably the rest of the New Testament. The reason I point that out is because of churches that would agree with us, evangelical churches, 45% of the people agree with that statement and 47% of the people disagree with that statement. So 45% of the people that would come in and say, I'm a member of a Southern Baptist church would, uh, would say that statement was true. That is almost half. When you add in all of the other denominations, 63% of them thought that statement was true. <laughs> this is why I thought this would be a good exercise for us. Because there are a lot of things that we are not very careful of and that we don't think about as well as there are a lot of churches and ministries and Christians in general that they don't necessarily have a robust understanding of theology. They don't necessarily think through all of these issues and teach them on a regular basis. I mean, I know I'm a weirdo. I try to make sure that I expose you guys to as much of this as possible. I don't do as well as I could, which is why I also think this is a good idea. Because if I get one of these that scares the tar out of I me, mean, what the answer is, you know what I need to do? We need to make sure we yeah, we need to make sure we focus on that one. So so far so good. We're doing all right. But I also want to expose you to this because when you run across somebody, well. I can't say when you talk to somebody in Walmart at the grocery store anymore because you're not allowed to do that. So you don't talk to people at the grocery store when you're out in public. But when you nod at them from across the aisle, (laughs) there are people that would go, I go to church and da-da-da-da-da. Sometimes that's not what we think it means. And while I'm I'm not saying you have to have a perfect systematic theology to be saved, one, it doesn't hurt. But two, there are some things that we just have to make sure that we understand and get right because it matters for how we walk and how we live, but it also matters for how we teach and how we evangelize because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And I think going through the survey like this could actually be a little bit eye-opening. So what, what we've learned so far is that about 45% of people that would come in our building and we would accept them as members from another church think that God is just perfectly okay with whatever goes on in a mosque or a synagogue. And while I'm not saying what's going on in those buildings is evil, I'm also not saying it's true worship of God. And that's something that we have to make sure of, which means here's your homework for the week. What makes worship true worship of God? Somebody write that down because I want to make sure we answer that question next week. Because I want you guys to do that. that's your Bible hunting for the week. What makes worship, no, it's not an essay, just thing, I want you to solidify in your own brain. What makes what we do on a Sunday morning? Good, right, and acceptable in the sight of God. Because that's an answer to this question to figure out why. The reason I want you to write it down is I want you to remember and remind me that I asked it, because I may forget to write it down before the end of the day. I think I got a pen over there. And we'll make sure that's something that should that would be good. What makes what we do in our daily lives worship of God? What makes what we do and how we sing and how we pray and how we teach on a Sunday morning right worship of God? Because it matters, because forty five percent of people say it doesn't matter. And that's a problem. So we got to make sure we cover that. All right. Am I forgetting anything? I know this will take a little bit longer on Sunday morning. I promise to preach shorter. Huh? That's a good trade-off, isn't it? <laughs> and if you look at the times on the services, I have been preaching shorter the last few weeks. I've been making—I <laughs> have been making a conscious effort. I'm trying. I'm trying. I do what I can. So that, I think it'll be a worthwhile endeavor. If I'm, I'm not forgetting anything else, counsel after the service. In that case, I will stop talking so we can continue on with our worship.
0: Sweet the rains new fall, sunlit from heaven, like the first dew fall on the first grass. Praise for the sweetness of the wood garden. Praise for the morningness where his feet pass. Mine is a sunlight, mine is a morning born of the one night Eden's all plain Praise with elation, praise every morning God's recreation of the new day. Morning has broken like the first morning, blackbird is spoken like the first bird. Praise for the singing, praise for the morning, praise from the springing, fresh from the word praise for the springing fresh from the world. Love for us. How- I can't compete with them. <laughs> yeah. How deep the father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure That he should give his only son And make a wretch his treasure How great the pain of searing loss The father turns his face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking voice all out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his guiding breath has brought me life i know that it is better. I will not boast on anything No gifts, no power, no wisdom But I will boast in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection Why should I gain from his misery? But this I know with all my heart Is wounds have paid my ransom My ransom
1: I did forget something this morning. Um, And all the news and all the stuff, there's actually good news. I forgot to mention it. Um, Kelly Goodmanson, I don't know how many of you know the name when I say Kelly. She's the quiet lady who usually sneaks in and sits in the back. Um, She is not here. She is in Texas because her daughter-in-law has had the baby. Yay! Mom is doing well. Baby is doing well. Cameron has pictures if you want to see him. (laughs) I'm not a baby picture person, so if you're not, I won't be offended, and I don't think Cameron will either. But if you are, Cameron has the pictures, so there you go. All right, the tape is not cooperating this morning. That is never a good sign, so all right. There we go, hopefully. All right, that is not a misprint. We are going to blow right through the chapter division. Remember, when Moses wrote this, there were no chapter divisions, They were not added until, let me try to remember my church history, about the fifteen, sixteen hundreds, 1600s and they were done by a bishop traveling on horseback. So if you ever wonder why some of the verse divisions seem so weird, I wonder if he was just kind of like, oh, well, it's stuck there now, I'm not changing it. So put it in there, and you leave it there, and we're done So. We are going to get a little bit back to work. So for those of you that were on vacation, you missed the genealogy, which means you missed a good time. I thought there was so much good stuff in there. Even Jan had to agree, and she was nervous about the genealogy. I saw the look on your face. You were, you were nervous, but I, but I think we did a good job. I think we got through it. So we are going to get back into the meat of this book. We are going to get where we want to get originally, which is ultimately to Pharaoh and to the arguments that God is having and the fight that he is picking. It, stop rolling the water bottle won't stop rolling. It's There we go. Okay, that'll work. Um, if you have forgotten everything about the book of Exodus up until now, I will not recap it for you. And the reason I won't is because, well, this section of the book is going to do it for us. So you're going to get a recap whether you like it or not. And if you don't, don't take it up with me. Take it up with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who decided what should go in there, where it should go, and when it should be there. So With all of that said, let's get our recap and actually get moving with this story by going from 628 through 713. Now it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord, speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. But Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I will make you as God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command. You and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron did it as the Lord commanded them, thus they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff, throw it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and thus they did just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. For each one threw down his staff, and they turned into serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Good little pause, because then we're actually going to get into the plagues, and that's just going to be fun. I know you've been everybody's been looking forward to the plagues, which seems weird that we look forward to getting to the plagues, but... As if we haven't lived through 2020 enough, we're now going to do the plagues of Egypt in the coming weeks. But before we get there, let's make sure we know where we've been. It came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses. It's in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. These are the details of the the final argument. Remember, the very last argument Moses had with God was was at Genesis. Where did that come from? Exodus chapter 6. Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of this land. But Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me, for I am unskilled in speech? Then the Lord spoke spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge, to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. There's the details right here. We missed that. That doesn't get included for us in chapter 6. But the good news, we're back on track, aren't we? All the complaining of the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7, all of the the sins of the families and all the stuff down through the ages of chapter 7 from last week, all in the review mirror, we are now moving in the right direction, except for verse 30. Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Take a minute here because this is, this is important. What's the answer? Remember, this goes all the way back to Moses' beginning complaint when God appears to him with the burning bush and the and the fire and the voice and all of that. What was the complaint? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? And the answer then is the same as the answer now. You're nobody. That's the point. Rewind back into Genesis chapter 18. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. And at this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Those consistent things. When people are charged with something, how do we usually do in Scripture? No. No. It doesn't end well when you give us the job. But when God is accomplishing things, what happens? Things get done. Not only do things get done, things get done right and well. That's part of the lesson. Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. Duh. We don't want him to listen to you. We want him to listen to God. So we're always moving that vision higher. If you'd like an example of this, because this is something I'm working on as a side project right now, if you'd like an example of this, read the Sermon on the Mount. And notice what Jesus is continually doing in proclaiming the law to the people. He is continually moving their lives away from their outward living, away from their standard, and trying to get them to focus on God and his standard. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7, read that. It'll do you good, and you'll see an example of this. Now, This is a lesson that Moses got and passed on to Israel, and a lesson that Israel— Now, when I say that, I mean the faithful remnant of Israel that um, God speaks to about Elijah, that Paul speaks about in Romans. Israel, as a faithful remnant, got this message. This is why you saw the calls of the prophets. As an example, Jeremiah 32. Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you who shows loving kindness to thousands but repays the iniquity of fathers into the bosom of their children. After them, O great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel, mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds, who has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even to this day, both in Israel and among mankind, you have made a name for yourself as at this day. This is why you had the call of the prophets being as bitter as it was. What was part of the lesson of the book of Exodus? What was the lesson of the event of the Exodus? that a helpful enslaved a help helpless enslaved people unable to redeem themselves unable to deliver themselves are redeemed and delivered by who by God by according to his promise by his great power this was the lesson of scripture i mean if you think this through adam and eve were supposed to die why don't they die Because God redeems and delivers them out of the garden and out of his wrath by doing what? Covering their sin. The symbol of their sin is their nakedness with what? An animal skin. Again, we've said this before. Do rabbits just like give you their skin for pants? Like you ever been walking through the woods and a deer jumps in front of you go, Oh, look, I made pants out of myself. They'll look wonderful on you. No, this doesn't happen. You typically have to do what to get the animal skin off of it? You have to kill it. They don't just volunteer this stuff. Like, Oh, here you go. They're not all sheep, right? But even sheep, that's not skin, that's that's fluff. That's a different <laughs> yeah. We're not dealing with those today. We're just no. we're getting off the rabbit trail, back to talking about the rabbit on the main highway, right? There's a death in place of Adam and Eve. It's a sacrifice. They are delivered from the wrath of God, which would have been expressed in their death by the sacrifice in their place. You'll see this in Exodus. How does Israel leave Egypt? Because Egypt is finally broken by what? The death of the firstborn. Why are Israel's firstborn exempt from this? because of the death of the lamb in place of their sons. When they move into the land, what is the symbol of their agreement with God? It is the covenant promise they make. How is that seal? The sprinkling of the blood on the altar and the people. A death joining them to God. It is a consistent thing that is going on here. They have been taught from the beginning that God delivers. God redeems. God is just. And when they forget that, they have engaged in one simple basic sin that we're going to need to remember for the rest of this morning, and it's called idolatry. Because when you forget that it is God who accomplishes, God who works, and God who redeems, that means you think someone else has accomplished, someone else has worked, and someone else has redeemed. You have put something or someone in the place of God. You can't do this. Faithful men and women of God throughout history have not done this. If you'd like an example of this in the New Testament, the Magnificat of Mary from Luke 1. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Technically, it's not the Magnificat. It's the part before that. So if anybody wants to get me into technicality, there you go. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. She who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. You get this constant reminder that who is saving people is God. That's why the trivia question was what it was. The Son of Man has come to do what? Seek and to save that which is lost. Now, chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of this land. Remember, we mentioned this a few weeks ago when these jobs were originally declared. Moses has not been promoted. He has not been deified or empowered in some way. Moses will receive commands from whom? From God. Moses will then go to Aaron and tell Aaron, you are to say, Aaron is to go before Pharaoh and say, Moses told me. Is that what Aaron is supposed to say? No, Aaron is supposed to say, God has said. Now, did God say to Aaron? No, God said to Moses, Moses said to Aaron, this is the world's worst game of telephone because it's frustrating to keep up with all of this. But at the same time, God says, "When you read your prophets, your prophetic books in the Old Testament, especially if you're a, if you grew up with an Old King James translation, how do most of them begin? Thus saith the Lord." Just sounds good, doesn't it? "Thus saith" when you do that. This is it in action. God speaks; people start moving. Now, if you have been following along in the Book of Exodus. And if you haven't and you've just got like nothing else to do this week, they're all on YouTube. You can go listen and catch right back up. It'll be fun. If, but if you have been following along, Exodus has taken a giant sledgehammer to this point. God works. God accomplishes. God redeems. God has power. God will dot, 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 whatever it is you want to put in there. Now, you may be asking yourself, self, why? is the book of Exodus killing me with the point that it is God who accomplishes all of these things. All right, you ready for your imagination hats? So put your your imagination caps on. You're on Jeopardy! And Alex is giving you the answer. It's, It's Bible people for a thousand. The deliverer of Israel. What's the answer that's gonna get you the thousand and not give you the buzzer? Who is Moses? That's why the book of Exodus is taking a sledgehammer to this point. 3,000 years later, if someone asked you, in the book of Exodus, who's the deliverer of Israel? Moses. I mean, it is God, but who do we immediately think of? Walk into a synagogue today and ask them, who is the deliverer of Exodus? And the answer would be Moses. Moses. He's the great deliverer of the people. He's the prophet who knows God face to face. This is why this point is hammered in the book of Exodus. It's what we call idolatry in action. Where are these events all supposed to be pointing to? They're supposed to be pointing to God. Who are they supposed to be glorifying? They're supposed to be glorifying God. Who do we immediately think of when we think of this? Like, if you are gonna teach this to children, how often do we, who's the star of the story? moses is when you open up a children's bible it's moses with the tablets it's moses with the staff it's not the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire it's moses who do we want to elevate someone who looks like me and is busted up like me but did great things that i didn't do because i want to get some credit around here too dag nabbit again the point of all of this is not to glorify the people but to ultimately point to god john 5 what was jesus telling them do not think that i will accuse you before the father The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Um, John Bunyan in The Pilgrim's Progress did such a great job. I've said this like four or five times in the last year. Read Pilgrim's Progress. It will actually do you good. It's one of the few books outside of Scripture that I will give that commendation to. Um, It's 700 years old. Is John Bunyan that old? No, no, John Bunyan's not that old. No, it's four or five hundred years old. Sorry, I'm getting my math mixed up. It's it's from the it's from the high Middle Ages, late Middle Ages. John Bunyan wrote it from prison because he had the audacity to preach the gospel without a license from the king. Tragedy amongst tragedies. I feel like we're going back there in the world. As long as we have government permission, we're okay. But anyway, that's a whole another bunny trail that we're not taking today. So he wrote an allegory where everything is standing in for something else. So. You're smart people. You can figure this out. The star of the story is a man by the name of Christian. He is traveling the king's highway to the celestial city. He is walking the path of sanctification in this world to eventually reach God's kingdom. That's the goal. At one point in the story, he is walking along, and this man comes running by him so fast he can't even see him, and he knocks him to the ground. He knocks him off the road. And Christian doesn't know what's going on, and he dusts himself off and gets back on the road and knocks him off the road again, and he gets back. And after it happens two or three times, you find out the name of this man who keeps doing this is Moses. It's the law, the accusation of the law, the thing that drags you down. Are you good enough? Did you walk well enough? Are you righteous enough? Are you holy enough? And the answer to those questions is always what? No. And that's what the law does. The danger is when you say yes. Because now, whose highway am I walking on? The king's highway? No, I'm walking on my highway. My highway doesn't go to the celestial city, it goes to despair, it goes to destruction, it goes to judgment. Instead, I walk by faith. It is a lesson that the law does not save, that my trust in the work that Moses has done does not save, but my trust in the work that God has done, specifically in Christ the grace and mercy of the deliverer who has come down from heaven, not the one who hopes to get to heaven. It's between those two things. You see this again in a parable of Jesus in Luke 16. The, uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus is being comforted. The rich man is being judged. And what is he begging for? I say He said, I beg of you, send him, talking about Lazarus, to my father's house. Why? I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so they will not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses, and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. That's an ouch right there, isn't it? See, again, what was Christ's point? We saw this when we went through the Gospel of John. What were the festivals pointing to? Was the point of the festival the lamb? No. Was the point of the festival the blood? No. Was the point of the festival the meal? No. The point of the festival was Christ. Were the tabernacles, the the ingathering of the people, was that to be a celebration of the crops? No. Was it to be a celebration of the work that God did in Exodus? No. It was to be a celebration of the work that God did in redemption, which is ultimately a work that is fulfilled in Christ. All of those festivals were pointing to Christ. All of the scripture was pointing to Christ. All of the sacrifices, all of the laws, they were all to be pointing to Christ. To miss the forward-looking nature of all of this work was to miss all of it completely. To miss the animal in the garden, to miss the the, the the altars built by Abraham, to miss the grace and mercy poured out by God, to miss the covenant given on, to miss all of that, to see it as a then and a now and a thing that justifies me was to stop looking forward to what God was doing, Christian. This is an important distinction. What's part of our reminder. I keep pointing this to pointing us to this every month. It's not just look what Jesus has done. That's important. We want to do that. But what else do we want to do? What has Jesus promised to do? We don't walk just doing this. That never ends well. Like do you do you drive looking in your rearview mirror constantly? Like you may think there are people on the road who do that. and I've seen some of these people drive. I might not disagree with you, but is that right? <laughs> I don't, don't drive forwards while looking backwards. That's why before rear view cameras, how were you taught to drive when you had to go in reverse? You had to do what? Now I can see. We get old and we all start doing this number. <laughs> You look the way you're going. Christian, this is part of our walk in this world. How do we understand this place rightly? Not just by looking backwards, but by looking forwards to the kingdom that God is bringing. Not just by looking backwards to what he has accomplished, but by looking forwards to what he will accomplish. That all the wrongs, all the injustice, all the hurt, all the pain, it's all undone. It is all put aside in the in his final kingdom. That's a reason for joy. When I know that, I walk in the midst of struggle gladly, joyfully, rejoicing like I'm supposed to. How you understand the work of God, how you understand the accomplishments of Christ matters in your daily life. So let's continue. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt, When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. Remember, this is our big picture reminder. We have a fight going on here, don't we? This is not Moses and Aaron versus Pharaoh. This is not Israel versus Egypt. This is God versus evil. This is God redeeming his people. Now, why do we need to pick this fight if you're God and you're Israel? I actually think Job gives us an answer, Job 42. Job, after listening to God explain to him how small he is for a few chapters, says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now, reading your Bible rightly, standing in Exodus chapter 7, how does Israel know that? How does Israel know that? What has been their experience in their world? Hardship, pain, suffering, death. How do they know that God can do this? Because he's going to. They don't yet. That's the reason why God is picking this fight. He's, He's teaching them to walk rightly. He is first, though, proving himself. He's proving it. We know because we look back we see the great works we see the testimony of the exodus we see the testimony of the life with abraham we see the testimony of god's work with israel and the nation with david and with solomon we see all of that and we go okay i can see what you're accomplishing therefore i know they're standing where they're standing on the cusp of it they haven't seen it yet that's why god is picking the fight he is going To demonstrate that he's not just God of Abraham when he is some shepherd in the backside of nowhere and nobody has ever heard of him and anything has gone on. He's going to pick a fight with the greatest, most powerful nation on the earth. He's going to crush it under his thumb. He's going to redeem his people, and then he's going to prosper them in ways that they cannot possibly comprehend so that from that point forward, everyone will look back and go, dude, God can do that. He can accomplish this, and he's serious. This is also why we walk rightly. How do you walk? If you had to use one word to describe Christians living, what word would you use? You just get one. What is your life to be defined by? See, I would think your your definitional word would be one simple thing. Faith. I walk by faith. Faith. Because I haven't stood at the edge of the Red Sea and watched to be parted. I've read about it, but I didn't stand there. I know that God has testified to that. I know that he redeemed me because I know who I was, and I know who I am, and I know where I'm going. So I can see that work, but let's be honest. There's times I want to doubt that work, aren't there? Because <laughs> sometimes I wonder, like, did you really clean up enough of me? Like, there's some dirt behind the ears you could have got that I, I wish you'd gotten to a little bit faster. But yeah. no, we walk by faith. This is part of the declaration. What did Jesus come in? John 20. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger. See my hands, and reach here with your hand, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see, and yet believed. No offense, you have a greater faith than the apostles. Even if somebody rises from the dead, they will not believe. How many people saw that empty tomb and walked away disbelieving? How many people saw the work of the apostles and walked away disbelieving? How many people heard the exact testimony from the same people over and over and over again and walked away disbelieving? How many people stood on the edge of the Red Sea and watched it part and walked through on dry ground and walked away disbelieving? How many people saw the manna come down from heaven and walked away disbelieving? How many of them saw the walls of Jericho collapse and still walked into idolatry and ended up disbelieving? See, seeing in Scripture is not believing. Street magic should teach you that, if nothing else. you're like I mean, how many times have you watched a street magician, and you're like, how did he do that? I mean, I watched him do it, and I know he didn't do what I saw him do, but how did he do that? I see it, and I still don't believe it. That should be a good allegory for our Christian walk. Seeing is not believing. Believing is actually believing. Why do I believe? Because the Holy Spirit spurs me to faith. Well, why is he here? Because I've trusted. Isn't that circular? Yes. Do I care? No. Because ultimately, we have a walk by faith. We trust that God's grace, mercy, and work covers our sin. We trust that the Holy Spirit then indwells us. We trust that the Holy Spirit will spur us to righteousness and sanctification and good works. And we trust that if we continue on that path, he will bring us to the point of completion. Now, do I have some proof of that as I walk? I hope so. As I mentioned, I can see what I was, and I can see what I am, and I can go, All right, we're going somewhere. It may be... It may only be about this speed, you know, maybe like my grandmother running into the store, you know, when she had her little walker thing going. It may only be that fast, but you know what? I'm moving. May not be as quick as I would like, but I'm still moving. Which again, that's part of the lesson is, whose timeline do we work on? God's. That's why we know that. We don't think like that. We don't live like that. I want to be over there. Yeah, well, you know what? There might be a bus over there might be better off right where you are. You might not be able to handle what's over there right now, but you know when you will be able to handle what's over there? When I get there, it may take me another 10 years, but when I get there, I'll be able to handle what's there. This is, the, this is the testimony from the martyrs throughout church history. Almost none of the Christian martyrs who gave their lives to the faith a month or a year beforehand would have been able to tell you, man, I'm going to walk into that Colosseum. I'm going to testify before the emperor or the governor or whoever it is. Man, I don't care what you do to me. I will not deny Christ. They'd be like, you know, when I'm staring down the line and I can smell his breath, I might be tempted to go, I'm out, yo. And you know what basically none of them did? That. And almost all of them went in there singing songs, reciting scripture, preaching to the crowds, and rejoicing because they were confirmed in their faith. Why? Because they were ready for it when it got to them. That's how sanctification works. This is your lesson of life. Be of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's a walk of trust. That's a judgment based on trust and faith. So, verse 6. So Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, thus they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron, 83, when they spoke to Pharaoh. See, now we're going to see what that looks like in action. They're going to go to Pharaoh and do what God commanded. Finally! (laughs) Finally! Why now? What's changed? There is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under heaven. And if you don't know what that sounds like musically, you need to listen to the birds. Because they literally put it to a song. There is a season turn, turn, turn. And they actually cut royalty checks to um, local synagogues every year the people that hold the royalties for that, because the songwriter for the birds was uh, was an orthodox Jewish believer and actually gave credit to the book of Ecclesiastes for his song lyrics. You can look that up. It's kind of a fun story. So they actually cut a check. Like, we didn't write it. God did, so we got to pay royalties. <laughs> so they they fork over a, a hunk of money. Yeah, I, I don't know what the percentage is. But yeah, they fully admit, because you ever read that and be like, that sounds an awful lot like the Bible, because it, it is. And they admitted it. So, there you go. Now, yes. See, you were singing Bible songs and didn't even know it. There you go. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff, throw it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. Remember, this is our first proof of the divine power. It goes all the way back to Exodus 4. Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand, grasp it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand, caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Now remember, who was that sign for? It wasn't Pharaoh. It was the Israelite elders. He was to do that sign before the Israelite elders, and they would believe in Moses. And that's what he did. There was never a promise, you're going to do this for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's going to believe you. As a matter of fact, what we're told from the very beginning is everything you do in front of Pharaoh, he's going to say what to? Get out of here. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh. All right, hold on, time out. This is our second meeting, remember, with Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. The first one did not go well in Exodus 5. Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. Hey, Moses and Aaron were ready, right? They got the stance there. They got the staff, and they're ready to go. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go on a 3 days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. So we went from, Let my people go, to, Please. He turned into Roger Rabbit. Please. You guys don't know any of the good 80s movies, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Becca and Matt know them, and that's all that matters. Every time I give a bad 80s movie reference, Becca turns into my wife and covers her head in shame. So, But that doesn't bother me, because I'm used to my wife looking at me with that look on. So I am immune to it at this point, Mostly. Well, this is our second meeting with Moses and Aaron. This is actually our third meeting overall with Pharaoh and the Israelites. Because remember, after Moses and Aaron left and Pharaoh doubled their work and made everything harder on them, what did the Israelites do? There is no straw given to your servants, and that they keep saying to us, make bricks. Behold, your servants, that's us, are being beaten, but it is the fault of your people. That's always going to go over well with the guy in charge, right? Blame him and his cronies for everything that's wrong. But Pharaoh said, you are lazy very lazy. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go, work. You'll be given no straw, yet you must deliver your quota of bricks. See, none of that ended well. Pharaoh got to sit in the seat of scoffers and mockers. He got to make fun of the people, question God, and establish himself as the authority. None of that went well. What's supposed to be different between now and then? Well, then we're arguing. Now what are we doing? Now we're going. Thus they did, just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Now remember, this was not for Pharaoh. This was a proof for the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, Exodus 4, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me but you have refused to let him go behold i will kill your son your firstborn they're serious about this so what happens pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers now oh, this is always going to end well right we actually know who some of these guys are second uh, timothy chapter 3 just as janus and Jambris opposed moses so these men also opposed the truth men of depraved mind rejected in their faith of god in the, rejected in regard to their faith but they will not make further progress for their folly will be obvious to all just as Janice's and jambrus's folly was also that's uh, paul writing to timothy explaining some of the history here some of those so two, one of the guys names is janus and the other one is jambrus there you go again if you're looking for names for grandchildren i don't think there's a whole lot of janesses j a n n e s or jambruses so there you go especially his guys names is that like the oh that just went right out of my head uh, isn't that the Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue? You can name your grandson Janice and see if he grows up to be tough. There you go. So he calls them in, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts, For each one threw down his staff and they turned into serpents. All right, got to take a time out here because we have now been presented with two options here one this is like street magic you know like david Co- david copperfield remember the big made the statue of liberty disappear and we were all staring at tv like how do you do that and you're, you're trying to look around the corner of your television to see if you can see around the mirrors because you know it doesn't work and yeah either they did this and now there is a way to do this apparently i'm not a snake handler from the mountains of west virginia and north carolina so i'm not even gonna think about attempting this but apparently from what I've been reading, there are nerve endings in the back of a snake's neck. So, okay, here we go. So if this if this is our snake, if you pinch this nerve at the base of the back of their head, they'll go rigid. Kind of like when you grab a cat by the scruff of its neck and it goes like this. Apparently that works on snakes, which is just, I think, proof that cats are evil and snakes are evil. So that's the one thing they have in common. I'm not a cat person, I'm not a snake person, so we're just gonna go with that, that's my operating theory and it's gonna be okay. So apparently though, on a snake, if you pinch that nerve just right, the snake won't just go limp, it will actually go, it'll lock. And so you can walk in with the snake like that and it looks like you're holding a staff and when you throw it down, of course, the nerve is now released and the snake, you know, freaks out and starts moving around and then when you grab him again, you can, you know, you gotta say crikey, I think, when you do it and pick him up and hold him up in front of the camera. If you didn't get that reference, you didn't watch enough television in the 90s. And then you can pinch the neck of his neck again and he'll go stiff again and they can do the same trick. So that's an option. There is another option, which is there is some sort of demonic power at play here. You know, I don't know, Satan's standing in the courtroom like, oh yeah, I, I can, we can do this one guys. All right, get together. We need the sticks to become snakes. All right, you got this? All right, go team. Yeah, yeah. If that is the case though, We do have to remember, where does demonic power come from? You see, you immediately went, Satan. Au contraire, mon frère. Job chapter 1, Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him in his house and all that he has on every side? Always remember that. This is the lesson from Tim Hawkins. Satan can't work with shrubbery. So if you plant shrubbery, you make a hedge, he can't do anything. That's a joke. It's okay. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hands. Touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Satan is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know what his only problem is? He's on a leash. And God's holding the other end of it going, Down, boy. Rolled up newspaper, he won't behave. If Satan has any power, he doesn't see. This is Star Wars theology. It's what we call dualism. This is one of the, uh, the competing worldviews and philosophical religions that arose in the second and third century that tried to lead Christians astray. You'll see it in Gnosticism, which is modern day New Ageism. You'll see it in modern Hinduism and Buddhism. The understanding of dualism, that in the world there are equal and opposite powers. So this is why I call it Star Wars theology, because you have the good side of the force, and then you have the dark side, Luke. So you have, and they're always fighting for supremacy. Sometimes one is up and the other is down, and vice versa. If You remember, well, okay, when I was a high school student, now everybody had to draw those stupid yin-yang symbols on their notebooks for reasons, not only to Jobu. And they had to all draw those and write that down. That's where this comes from. It's dualism. You caught that one, didn't you? It's, it's good versus evil. We have a bad habit, bad, 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 bad habit in Christianity of thinking about God and Satan in this way. That there's God trying to do good stuff over here, and there's Satan doing evil stuff over here. And sometimes God wins, and sometimes Satan wins. Stop that. Romans 13, there is no authority except that which is given by God. I'm the Lord God who made all things. Um, this is your isaiah 45 again he accomplishes all that he desires there's no competition here god fights you lose whether you are you whether you are an angel whether you are a demon god fights you lose that's just how this works if satan is empowering these magicians to do this it is because god has allowed him to do so as a means of hardening pharaoh's heart and getting him to stand firm This is why, Christian, this is why we bear up under trials and struggles in this world. Because we have a terrible habit of going, I'm being oppressed by the devil. If that is the case, and look, I'm not saying that it's not. Does Satan do evil things in this world? Yes. Does Satan seek to lead people astray? Yes. Does Satan do anything without God's permission? No. No. God Ruler of heaven and earth, enthroned upon the circle of the earth, ruler of everything. There is nothing outside the purview. It's not like he's over there looking, man, can you believe Satan got over there to Europe and he's going to do that? What are we going to do about this? God is not shocked. So if you are being oppressed by Satan and you go, I, there's just a demonic force in my life, okay, bear up in faith. Bear up. Resist. This is, I Bible verse. 1 Peter 5, resist him. After he talks about roaring lion and all that, resist him. How? Firm in your faith. Why? Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are be accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will re, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen we bear up because satan's gonna lose as long as i walk in christ remembering the work remembering the promises knowing that i am traveling the king's highway to the celestial city i cannot be defeated i will therefore persevere this is why the call in scripture is to persevere and bear up because satan can't win he's not over there going i almost got him it's not like it's a weird tug of war he's done he's on a leash and he only operates as far as god allows this is why James can tell you that God doesn't tempt, but he gives every perfect and good gift. This is why uh, Corinthians can tell you that God doesn't tempt you, but he provides you what? A way of escape, because if you are going to persevere, you're going to persevere by the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, by your trust in him, which means God will not crush you in Christ. He may refine you a little bit, and he may purify you, but he will not crush you, and there's a difference between those two things. (laughs) With all of that said, Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. See, this is why I'm an option one guy. I just think this is sleight of hand. This is, as John Madden would say, this is trickeration, because what are we ultimately demonstrating here? You're demonstrating the truth of Psalm 89. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all it contains, for you have founded them. The north and the south, you created them. Tabor and Hermon, shout for joy at your name. You have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all the day. By your righteousness they are exalted, for you are the glory of their strength, and by you, favor by your favor our horn is exalted our shield belongs to the Lord and our king to the Holy One of Israel that's what's being proven here is that God's people walk by what by faith and trust in him because he has redeemed them he has covered them and their walking is in him and him alone not in Moses not in the crossing of the sea not in the manna from heaven not in the promise of the redemption from Egypt but in God Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. See, it was promised, and now it's delivered. Why? Because what's left for God, to use a good old phrase, it's time for God to do something. It's time for God to take his belt off. And that is not going to end well for Egypt, which, remember, is the entire point of this. Why is this our favorite funeral verse, especially in this country? Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why is that a comfort? Because I don't have anything to fear when I am in the midst of my enemies and God stands next to me with a stick in his hand to smack somebody. Because you know what I know? I'm his. He's mine. And when he goes to swing in that thing, you know who he's not swinging it at? Me! Which means, I don't know about the rest of you, but I feel really good right now. And the rest of you might want to duck a little. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of what's going on. It's a comfort because I'm in danger. Never mind. Never mind. This is why I remind us constantly. Where are we going? This is why this is important. We don't just look back. Yes, remember the work that Christ has done. It has redeemed us. It has taken us, moved us from from death to life. It has counted us not guilty and sealed us by the Holy Spirit in godliness. That is good. But remember to look forward. Because otherwise, you will wake up in the midst of this dark world and go, I'm in danger. And that's where you will stay. And so many Christians wind up there because they have not bothered to go, oh, never mind. I'm good. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me because when I walk in the midst of this, you will whack the tar out of those people and I'm good. That's a comfort. I don't have anything to fear because I have the ruler of heaven and earth standing beside me. The other good news here, Moses and Aaron finally have done what they were supposed to do. They've done the signs, they've made the declaration, and Pharaoh has said no. Wait a minute. You mean that if I walk and I do everything that I'm supposed to do, there might come places in this world where life is hard for me? I didn't sign up for that. Don't we have books that teach us otherwise? Not in the Bible, unfortunately. Not in the Bible. And that matters because, Christian, not a solitary thing has changed in this world. Psalm 36. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. Paul quoted that psalm in Romans chapter 3. And Paul did that because it described his world. I got really bad news for us. Describes ours too. That's one of the reasons I want to go through those survey results. I'm pointing at them because they're on my bulletin. My bulletin's over there. (laughs) in the chair. That's why I want to go through those survey results because we have a bad habit to think that we have a whole lot of people that agree with us on a whole lot of things, and I got really bad news for us. Barna did that survey several years ago amongst people that attended church regularly. And by the way, when I talked about, on that survey, when I talk about evangelicals, people that agree with us, there's a filter for the results, and the filter that I'm using is people who say they attend church at least once a week. So when that that third question only... 45% of the people got that answer right, those are the people that are in church Sunday in and Sunday out. Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. But Barna did this survey years ago, and of of the people who attended church at least two times a month, which according to most uh, church calendars, that's what we count regular attendance. Between 25 and 30 Sundays a year is counted as regular church attendance. That's how bad we are now statistically. But amongst those people, 20% said they had a biblical worldview. That hurts. That's not good. No, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Hang on, hang on. You're right. No, no, that's the point. It doesn't make any sense, and that's the problem. As we look out at the world and we think that we have the great unwashed masses on our side, and I think we have a tendency to forget that we do not, that the things that we have in this world, we have by faith in Christ, and the walk that we live is a walk that is not always simple and not always a majority thing. We are still called to walk by faith, to do what he has called us to do, and recognize that it may not end well in the here and now. But the question that we need to answer day in and day out is, so what? Because as we are reminded of what Christ has done and what Christ has promised, and as we remember to walk, we have safety in God. We have security in his kingdom. Salvation has been assured. His kingdom has been assured. Why? Because there are not competing forces. There are not competing strengths that will rise up against God. He is the conqueror you want a great example read the end of revelation it too will do you good because when you see the armies of, of satan allied on one side and you see the armies of christ lined up on the other side and you're like oh like lord of the rings style orcs and stuff no god does what he speaks they're defeated and we move on with things it's like that we make a big deal out of the battle of armageddon it's over in like 25 seconds and there are no casualties on the side of christ we're done here. Why? Because he is the power and the authority. That is the thing that guides us. That is the power that upholds us and secures us and promises us promises us completion. We have to remember that, so that when we are in the midst of this world, because look, I stopped watching the news because I can't take it anymore. It, it's it's dark. It is dark out there. And when I have a tendency to look at how dark it can be, my first thought is, I'm in danger. Never mind. And that's what we have to be reminded, is I can walk through any valley because God walks with me. And that power is unconquerable, and that security is unshakable. You're going to see that in action, because the Moses that we have been reading— the one who's arguing and vacillating and freaking out, he's going to become the Charlton Heston Moses. You know, just just standing there like, dude, let's go. All right, fine. This is what's going to happen to you. I mean, we're going to go there. What changed? An understanding of who God is and what he's going to do. What changes for us? An understanding of who God is and what he's going to do. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the testimony that you have given in your word for the work that you have accomplished and for the testimony you have given in our lives for again the work you have accomplished and that which you have begun you will complete you have promised it and by the power of your spirit you will deliver it pray lord that you would strengthen us to trust in that that we would walk rightly not in fear but boldly proclaiming your great salvation and mercy knowing that your work is good and that it endures and lord by your power by the work of christ Our work is good, and in you it will endure. Strengthen us to believe that and trust in that. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
0: Lord, I lift your name all night. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from air, but you to show the way from the earth to the cross. My death to me from the cross. From the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name all night. Lord, I lift your name on night. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life i'm so glad you came to save us you came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross I death to pay from the cross to the grave from the grave to the sky lord i lift your name on all Lord, I lift Your name on high. Lord, I lift Your name on
1: high. Reminders, church council today. So, council members, stick around. A couple of things. Try to be as brief as possible. Uh,